And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flower fades, But the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your grace, for your love, and for your forgiveness that you have poured out on the church in Jesus Christ. As we turn our attention and attend to your word this morning, open our eyes and our ears that we might see and know you Teach us about your healing and the forgiveness of sins that is only found in Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned, and as we have just read, today's passage is about the forgiveness of sins. Or more specifically, you might say that it is about Jesus Christ and his ministry of the forgiveness of sins. And as we come this morning, we come and turn our attention to this passage, we all come with varying degrees of understanding and potentially mixed emotions or mixed experience about what forgiveness is and how we have experienced that. And so we'll talk about some of that mixed experience and mixed emotion, but just think about how we cover this topic in our uh, services week in and week out. On the one hand, it's something that we do every week. We talk every Sunday about our confession, where we go through confessing our sins, and about our assurance of salvation. And in doing that, not only do we discuss it, but we experience what is the forgiveness of sins. And still, as a doctrine, as a deep dive into what we mean and what we are doing, I don't remember personally ever teaching a sermon before solely dedicated to the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm grateful today that we get to dive deeply into the Word of God here in Mark 2 and learn about this foundational truth to our faith. Because every week after the sermon, 
right? We respond by standing up and confessing our faith together. And we use the Apostles' Creed to do that. And in the Apostles' Creed, we say the things that we believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the communion of saints, the Holy Catholic Church. And we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And so I am delighted that we get to spend our time this morning focusing on a fundamental of our faith and a topic that is so vivid in this passage. And so as we turn to the passage this morning, we are going to see six truths about the forgiveness of sins. And now I recognize that that is twice as many as I am legally allowed as a Presbyterian pastor to give you this morning, but it's a compromise because if I had my way, we would do 12 points and I'm pretty sure none of you guys want that. And so we narrowed it down to six, and we're going to do, I'm going to make two promises to you. One, I'm going to go through them in, in a way that hopefully doesn't bog down in any of them. And two, when I first give them to you, I know I have some note takers, so I'm going to give them to you slowly and repeatedly again. So six truths, buckle up, get ready, the forgiveness of sins. First, we see that the forgiveness of sins starts with the preaching of the word. The forgiveness of sins starts with the preaching of the word. Second, we'll see in this passage that the forgiveness of sins draws people in. So it starts with the preaching of the word. It draws people in. Third, we see that the forgiveness of sins is tied to our faith. So it draws people in and it is tied to our faith. Fourth, the forgiveness of sins divides. It divides. Fifth, the forgiveness of sins heals. So it not only divides, but it also heals. And sixth and finally, the forgiveness of sins glorifies God. So one more time, all the way through. The forgiveness of sins starts with the preaching of the word. It draws people in. It is tied to our faith, it divides, it heals, and it glorifies God. And these six points essentially walk us through the story that Mark gives us in this passage. So let's begin at the beginning. Look at me with verses 1 and 2 and notice that the forgiveness of sin starts with the preaching of the word. Mark writes, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And then we see that Jesus is preaching the word to them. Yes, some of the crowd is probably gathered there because of his reputation. Maybe they heard about him cleansing and healing the leper. Maybe they've heard about other miracles that he's done and they are there to see it. But Mark is clear here. In this passage, in the Jesus' ministry of forgiveness, he begins with the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. And actually, I would say that you and I experience forgiveness of sins in a similar way today. Even this morning in our liturgy, we began our confession of our sin with a passage from Scripture. We look to Scripture. As Nate taught us, as he told us, we look to Scripture so that it will shine light on us and and be a a light to know what we need forgiveness for. And we also start with the word in our assurance, that our assurance begins with hearing from the word of God. 
So we learn about the forgiveness of sins by attending first to God's word. And this is one reason why we often call the Bible special revelation. You may have heard that term before. Uh, In our faith tradition, we think of uh, revelation in two types. There's general revelation. And this is God. He has ordered and revealed himself in ways through his creation, through what we see and through what we know, through what we experience, and through the ways that he orders our life that we can know about God. And that's general revelation, that we can know about God's wisdom, his goodness, and his power. But that is not enough to save us. And so God, in his pleasure and in his mercy, gave us his special revelation in the word of God to teach us about our salvation and the forgiveness of sins that we both need and that we find in Jesus Christ. And even if in your life you can think back and say, well, I really didn't first hear about forgiveness from reading the Bible. It's not that I read the Bible and that I understood forgiveness. I learned about it through a relationship with somebody else. Maybe somebody taught you about the forgiveness of sins. And if that's the case, I would say that that experience still has its root in God's special revelation, its root in God's word. Because we, again, the only, we only know about forgiveness by attending to his word. Paul wrote about how this works some in the book of Romans in chapter 10. And he uses words like a, a, a pattern of an argument that would be a little, um, we wouldn't use today. But listen to what he says. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And what he's saying there is, how will people call on the name of Jesus, call on him for salvation if if they've not believed in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So you can't believe unless you've heard. And then Paul says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And what he's doing is he's making the connection that the ministry that we experience in salvation is always rooted in the word of God. It is always rooted in his special revelation to us, his children. And it's the same. Our understanding of forgiveness, even if it's given to us through our relationships or through another person, it is rooted in God's word. God's forgiveness begins with the teaching of his word. And so it's not surprising that we see here in Mark The passage on forgiveness of sins starts with the preaching of the word. And as Jesus preaches this word, we see that he draws people in. And that's our second point. That the forgiveness of sins draws people in. Again, in verse 2, we see that there were so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even at the door. And then Mark goes on and he tells us of the links that people are willing to go to get close to Jesus. And he says in verses 3 and 4 that four men came carrying a paralytic. And so not only did they have to drag their friend, or maybe it was one of their relatives, they not only had to drag him however far he had to come, but when they get there, they're not close enough. And so what do they do? They climb up on the roof, and they open up a hole in the roof, and they lower this guy's bed down so that he can be near Jesus. The ministry of Jesus draws people in. I think we experience a similar version of that same attraction today. For one, we can look around and see we're not alone. It's not just you and me. We are in a group of people who have all come together to 
to worship Christ, or if you're visiting with us, maybe you didn't come to worship Christ, but you're here for some reason. Something drew you here. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ and his church that is attracting us to come and worship him, to be near him. And there's attraction. You can see that there's uh, attraction of the ministry of Jesus in other ways, whether that's through Christian worship settings or conferences that draw thousands, even tens of thousands of people together to worship Christ. Or whether it's through the sermons and the teachings and the classes that are downloaded online by the thousands and tens of thousands and the millions. But the word of God draws people in. Now, I'm not saying that Christianity is always going to be the most popular message. I don't think that's the case. But I am saying that when God's word goes out, and specifically here in our passage, when people learn about the forgiveness of Christ as found in Jesus, they will be drawn in. And I would say that we experience this on a personal scale, and that is when we meet someone who has experienced true forgiveness from the Lord, when we see that they are transformed, we often recognize it and we are drawn to that person. We're drawn, whether it's to their gentle spirit or to their excitement or to their compassion or the love that they exude or the way that they serve others. When we meet someone who has been forgiven much, we are drawn to them. Let me offer you two quick examples. First, I think of my friends, and I have a few friends, one a particularly close friend, who is in active recovery from addiction. And this particular friend had a long history of drug use, and he was rescued from that. And I am now drawn to the type of person he is because he is a person who recognizes the hurt that he has caused others and the hurt that he has done to himself, and he knows how much he has been forgiven. And so when you're with him, you feel the transparency and the warmth and the openness that comes from being forgiven. And I find that that is true among many. There are some here in our congregation who live lives of recovery. And I would say the same for them. We are drawn to how much they have been forgiven. But as I was reflecting on this and thinking about how the Lord draws us in and how that's connected to forgiveness, I thought of another example from my past. And my first or second year in seminary, uh, I had a professor who was addressing our class at one point, and he told this story of basically all the trials that different people had overcome to be there. And he goes through the class, and he tells the normal things, that you know, some hardships and some real, real trials in people's life. And then he gets to the example, and he says, and one of you in this class has even killed somebody. And we were all floored. Who do you think after that class we all wanted to connect with? Who did we want to know? not just because of gossip, not just because it was exciting. We wanted to know how in the world someone could live a life where they killed another person and then later were transformed into someone who would give away their life for others, who would devote themselves to a life of serving others through ministry because we were drawn to the one who was forgiven much. And because... This is the case that we are drawn to the person who's been forgiven. When the word is preached and sinners are forgiven, that will bring people in. And that attraction, as it brings people in, that attraction, I think, is connected to our faith. 
And that brings us to our third point this morning, that forgiveness of sins is tied to our faith. And here, in a way, we move from the background of the passage into the foreground, or right, you can think of the teaching of the word and, you know, the crowd that was gathered. That's all the setting for the work that Jesus is doing. And that work here is tied to faith. Notice verse 5, Mark tells us, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. There is so much that we could discuss about this one sentence. For one, notice that faith and forgiveness are communal. That is, they happen in a community. The paralytic, he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. He needed his community to take him there. His friends or maybe his co-workers carried them, and it's their communal faith that brings him to Jesus. But more than that, notice that Jesus comments on their faith. He sees the faith of the men, plural, and he heals the paralytic. So in a way, it is a shared faith that Jesus is responding to. And I think this is one of the reasons that we here at Christ Church put such a high value on community together. We know that it is impossible to live out faith alone. It is impossible for us to experience the full ministry of forgiveness in isolation. God made us for community, and we experience that community and that forgiveness only together. Another implication here of this sentence is that the connection that we see between faith and works. So there's a connection between faith and works. And if I had asked you prior to this morning about what faith is, think to yourself, how many of you would have thought of faith as something that we see? Faith is something that we see. I can tell you, I I didn't think that. I wouldn't generally think in those terms. I would think more in long lines of the author of Hebrews, when in chapter 11, he tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and he says faith is the conviction of things not seen. And so I make the mistake sometimes of thinking, well, faith is the conviction of things not seen, but I forget that our faith is also seen. Jesus sees the faith of this men, these men, and he sees it in their actions. And so faith is something that is a visible outworking of our faith in Christ, the, the faith that he is working in us. And maybe this is part of what Jesus' brother, James, is later thinking about when he writes in James 2 that faith without works is dead because our faith has to be seen. And so as you reflect on this passage, maybe later today or later this week, you might think of all the ways that the Lord has forgiven you and ask the Holy Spirit to work faith in you that can be seen. How might the Lord be calling you to be used in his work that he's doing? How might the Lord be, in response to his forgiveness of sins, how might he be asking you to display your faith to those around you so that they might see it? It might look like the men described here. It might look like the Lord is calling you to invite others, to bring others to Jesus. That's the faith that these men demonstrate, right? They bring their friend to Jesus, placing their faith that he can do something about it. But it doesn't have to be that. 
It can be more like the disciples in this passage. There are several disciples here with Jesus in this passage, and we don't hear about him. And so we can imply that those disciples are sitting near the feet of Jesus, learning from him and marveling at what he is doing. And for your season of life, that may be the faith that you demonstrate, is being a part of the community of God and marveling at all God has done. It could look a thousand different ways, but your faith will be seen by others in the actions that you take. So as you consider your forgiveness, and you consider your faith, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal new ways that he might express that faith in your life. And there's one more aspect of forgiveness and faith working together from this passage that I want to mention. And that's not only is our faith relational and communal, and not only is our faith seen in our works, but our faith, and again, most pertinent to our topic here, our faith has a beautiful and mysterious relationship with forgiveness. Notice how faith and forgiveness work together in this passage. Jesus first sees their faith turns to the paralytic and says, your sins are forgiven. He sees their faith and then he works his forgiveness. But there are other passages in the scripture that seem to indicate that this can also happen in a different order. I think of Romans again in chapter 2, verse 4, where Paul says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And what he's talking about there and what he mentions in that passage is that God's forbearance, his forgiving of your sins, is meant to lead you to repentance. And so there, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and faith. And how these things work together is a mystery to us. And I bring it up to say that we don't always exactly know how God is going to work. And so in this mysterious union of faith and forgiveness, let me offer those of you who've been believers for a long time, who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, let me offer an encouragement to you. Is that sometimes we don't understand how our faith can be what it is in light of what we know the Lord has forgiven us. We can think that our faith is weak. In fact, it is weak. Even though we know all that he has done. We can think that God is not with us or that our lives have not turned out. We have not done enough to merit his kindness. But he is always with us and we do not know how he works faith and forgiveness in the times of our lives. And so if you are at a time of doubt or you are at a time of struggle, know that that mysterious relationship, your understanding of it is not equal to his love for you. Your understanding of how faith and forgiveness works is not an indicator of what God has done for you. And so we look to Jesus and place our faith in him just as we find our forgiveness in him. And so though this is a mysterious relationship, we can say with certainty that there is a way that our faith is essentially tied to the forgiveness of sins. The preaching of the word draws people in, and in bringing people to Jesus in order to work faith in them that sins may be forgiven. And yet when that does, we see something a little maybe unexpected, is that we see sometimes that divides us, which is our fourth point today, that the forgiveness of sins can actually divide. 
And look at verse 6 with me. Jesus says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then Mark tells us, Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So Jesus heals this man, or he doesn't heal this man yet. He, he forgives this man's sin, and immediately some of the people there separate themselves from Jesus. And we know that from later in the gospel, the scribes and the Pharisees are often opposed to Jesus. But keep in mind, this is the first time we really meet them in this passage. And they were there, right? They were drawn to. They were drawn to the teaching and the preaching of the word of Jesus. And so they were in their house, in that house with them. And so far, Mark has not really said anything about whether they're good or bad. This is the first time we see them. And what we see is when they're confronted with the forgiveness of sins, it divides them in their heart and their spirit. And I think if we put ourselves in their shoes, there's a part of us that can understand how that can happen. For one, there's a part of their logic that isn't wrong. In verse 7, they ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. God is the only one who can forgive sins. But there they miss the bigger picture, that Jesus is the Son of God, God himself. And so they separate themselves from Jesus and his followers. They are divided in their hearts because of the forgiveness that they see in what they believe is a sinner. And as I've said, I think we can sympathize with them or put ourselves in their shoes and understand it because I think if we're honest with ourselves, that forgiveness of sins can have a similar effect in our experience, both of others and of ourself. And so first, think about how you react when you hear that someone that you think is a significant sinful person who has done significant wrong, what is your reaction if you find that they're totally forgiven? Isn't there a part of you that rebels a little bit against that? And if you're tempted to say, no, I don't really rebel. I I like forgiveness. I want everybody to experience it. It doesn't bother me. I'd ask you to consider, what about when someone's hurting you? What about when someone you feel is sinning against you? What's your natural reaction? Is your natural reaction to look at them in tenderness and forgive them? Mine's often a reaction towards justice. I want what's right. Sometimes, you know, I may want, you know, forbearance where we don't have to deal with it, but I want justice or I want righteousness or sometimes I want punishment. But I would say that most of us are not naturally oriented to want forgiveness of sins for those who hurt us or the ones that we love. And I think part of the reason we do that is that we're not just rebelling against the forgiveness of sins of others, but we rebel against the forgiveness of sins of ourselves. And so how many times have you held your head in shame over the sins that you have already taken to the Lord and confessed before him? Now certainly, our sin has consequences. And so just because we are forgiven something doesn't mean that we won't ever think about it. We won't ever contemplate what we've done. But I know that many of us find ourselves in a position of asking God if he can really truly forgive the things that you and I have done. We're tempted to think that if God really knew us, if he really knew what I was like in my deepest, darkest place, then he wouldn't want me around. He wouldn't actually want to forgive all that I've done. Because we too are divided. Our hearts are often opposed 
to the idea that sins are forgiven. And so we often find ourselves in the place of the scribes, not only questioning the forgiveness of others, but questioning our own forgiveness. But brothers and sisters, know that the Lord knows what we are like. He knows those things that we say about the worst parts of us. He knows our doubts. He knows our division. He knows our temptation to push against forgiveness in ourselves and others. And we see in this passage at how quickly he acts. And so in verse 8, immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus doesn't let that division hinder his forgiveness. He doesn't let any darkness or confusion or fear or anything keep him from working the forgiveness of sins. And in doing so, he heals us. And that is our fifth point this morning, that the forgiveness of sins heals. Forgiving sins leads to healing. Jesus says to that man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And then in verse 12, we read that he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out. At the very word of Jesus Christ, not only is the man forgiven, but the man is healed. And this is the work of God. In a single word, Jesus heals the paralytic. He simply speaks it, and it happens. And this is how God works. If you think, this is how our entire universe and creation came into being. We read in Genesis 1 that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And here in our passage today, Jesus very God himself says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man immediately picks up his bed, and he goes home. He is healed body and soul by the word of our Lord Jesus. And when God does a miraculous work like this, when he brings forgiveness, there is only one fitting and appropriate reaction, and that is amazement and worship. And so the miracle of forgiveness of sins glorifies our God. And that is our last point this morning, that forgiveness of sins glorifies God. And the people in this passage do exactly what you and I would have done had we been there. As they see that the paralytic is forgiven and that he's healed, so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, I think sometimes you and I are tempted to, to feel a real distance from the characters in the story. We think, you know, these people lived 2,000 years ago. We know so much more than they know. We know about the way the world works. You know, we have these technological advances. We know how bodies work. And so we wouldn't react like they would. Well, let me show you that Mark says, no, all people are the same. And he doesn't leave room for that to be one of our options. Mark says in this that when the man picked up his bed and went out, that their response, the people's response, is that we never saw anything like this. It is exactly like if it had happened today here this morning. 
If someone brought a paralytic man and Jesus were here and spoke words and the man started work, we would say, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that. And that's exactly what they saw. That they saw a miracle. And they saw what only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. And only God can heal the lame like this. And amazingly, in his kindness, God gives us similar miracles to see. And I would say that every day, we get to see and know about miraculous events in the kingdom of God. Now, it's not the same healing. We don't often get to see people who can't walk, walk, or people who are blind, see. But in our day, every single day, someone turns to the Lord and repents. And every single day, the Lord gives new life to someone who is dead in their transgression, raising them up from the dead. God is constantly working his miracle of forgiveness in the lives of his children. And so he is constantly, miraculously forgiving sins. And you remember that Jesus' question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and take up your bed and walk? And the answer is, both are impossible. You can't say either of those. No, no human being can do that. And he's, we're, when we think that way, and what the, the scribes and the Pharisees thought there was right. No one is able to make the lame walk with a single word. And similarly, no one is able to forgive your sins merely by speaking a word to you. Accept God alone. And so when we see this, and when you experience the forgiveness of sins in the fellowship of your church, of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you get to witness a miracle of God. And that draws us to worship our Lord Jesus Christ as God. And C.S. Lewis, who is our most quoted author that we use at Christ Church, and he is thinking about these things when he made one of his most famous uh, statements. And Lewis explains, and probably drawing from this passage, and he explains that when you meet a man who claims to forgive sins, you only have a few options. If you meet a person who they say, I can forgive your sins, you have three options. That person is either a liar, they're lying to you, and they can't forgive your sins. That person could be a lunatic. He could be crazy and think he can forgive your sins, but he actually can't. Or that man is your Lord. Those are our only options when we come to Jesus Christ who claims to forgive our sins. And Lewis writes, when you meet this person, when, when we come face to face with the person who says he can do that, Lewis says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And as we have seen and experienced the forgiveness of sins in this passage, in our lives, and in the lives of those around us, I pray that we would all go to our Lord, fall at his feet, and call him Lord and God. And in doing so, we glorify our God in heaven in receiving the ministry of the forgiveness of sins.
And so to do that this morning, we're going to end our time in prayer. And though we always end our time in prayer, uh, this morning's prayer might be just a, a touch longer, not much, but just a little longer. Because in this prayer, I want to offer us all the opportunity to once more experience God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so a few words before we pray. If you are visiting with us this morning, maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to the Christian faith, let me encourage you, pray with me. The Lord is in heaven. He hears your prayers. Open your heart to him. He is listening and he hears you. You can pray this prayer with me. And likewise, children, let me encourage you, pray with me. As I pray, say these words along with me. I was younger than my youngest daughter, Charlotte, when I was sitting in a church service and a pastor encouraged me to pray along with him. And so I just repeated his words in my head and they were words of forgiveness, of confession of faith, and of trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he used that prayer to change my life. So let me encourage you, pray with me. And for those of you who've been following the Lord for many years or many decades, remember that the Lord hears you as well. He is the one who healed the paralytic. He is the one who forgives our sins. He is able to make the lame walk. He is able to give sight to the blind. He can meet you in your distress. and He can meet you in any darkness and rescue you from that. He loves you and he is able to forgive your sins. So let's all go to our God and pray that we might experience his forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as children in need of your help, in need of your forgiveness, and in need of your healing. You are the one who has drawn us here. You have gathered us this morning that we might hear your word and meet with you, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work faith in us. Our hearts are so often divided. We confess we need your help. We know that we are not enough that our faith is weak, and that given to ourselves, we would wander from you. So forgive us, we ask in Jesus' name. Heal us, Lord, and cause us to know that you are God. You are the one who is able to heal and save sinners, that we might have peace with you in a glorious future where we will stand before your throne perfect and complete because of the work that you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. Offer, give us that work now. Grant us that peace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.